0: Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football podcast and thank you for sticking with us if you've made it to part two of the January transfer window special. There have been a huge number of moves, as there are in every window, but it seems though that there have been plenty of transfers concerning under 23 players. So that's what we're going to get stuck into in part two. As promised, as Phil departs, we're joined by another scouted stalwart in Justin Sosa. Justin heads up all of our stateside content. Uh, He is the expert when it comes to MLS, USMNT and and all under-23 football on that side of the pond. Justin, it's great to have you back on, making your return, having missed a few episodes due to injury. What's new with you?
1: Hey Joe, uh, I'm doing well. I'm back in classes, uh, covering college basketball for our school newspaper and uh, writing for Scouted as always doing
0: very much the same over here uh, minus the basketball of course uh, Justin I alluded to just before in my intro uh, that you are our expert when it comes to all things uh, that concerns football on, on that side of the pond um, USMNT MLS and all that um, but you, you also have a uh, an interest in, in Portuguese football uh, due to sort of familial ties and uh, to the likes of FC Porto, uh, Benfica, uh, Sporting and, and FC Braga as well. We, we'll start with that. I feel like that that's, seems like a good place to begin. Um, and one big mover this January uh, was Gedson Fernandes, uh, who you can correct me on my pronunciation as well. Uh, he switched Lisbon for London. Um, can, can you tell us more about about that move?
1: Yeah, so I think when, when the move went through, I was kind of surprised given that he hasn't really played all too often for Benfica this season, at least not as much as he did last year. Um, and coming into a Mourinho team, I think he's going to be expected to work really hard. So I, I think it's definitely going to push his fitness playing for Spurs, at least for the first few games. But as far as talent-wise goes, I, I think he's definitely up to par and, and has the ability to fit into a Premier League side.
0: You mentioned that he hasn't really played that much for, for for Benfica, and I suppose it seems a bit strange for him to sort of get an upgrade of a move. Um, it, it is an eighteen month loan uh, with the option for for to buy for around fifty six million, which, which to me, not being an expert in Portuguese football, that seems like a lot of, of money for for someone like like Fernandes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the fifty plus million valuation on him is pretty high, uh, considering a lot of his game time has really only been with youth teams and the youth youth national teams. And uh, he's played a few champions league games and he's played a few league games. Um, But I think with the loan move, at least it gives him an opportunity to kind of play with Spurs. And I think he will get a fair few amount of chances uh, with them and say at the end of the 18 month loan spell, it doesn't work out with them. I think he'll, have kind of put his name out there and displayed what he can do to get a move away from Benfica, or even potentially work his way back into Benfica's first team. Because right now in midfield, I mean, they have Adele Tourette and Julian Weigel, who have both actually been doing really well, but I don't anticipate the two of them really making up that central midfield tangent for too much longer.
0: Eighteen months is a long time in in any case, but in football, eighteen months is what it's, it's a season, a full season and a half. So it's conceivable that if he did get game time at Spurs, uh, that he could be worth that in the eighteen months time. I mean, I think it's personally unlikely, but I think that the possibility is there, which is always uh, it's always going to be taken into into account when you're talking about young players of you know twenty twenty one years old in in transfer negotiations. Uh, I, I mean, I know it's presumptuous given how long it is into the future, and given Spurs' record in the transfer market. But do you think they'll exercise that that option to buy?
1: I think with their with their current squad and a lot of young players kind of coming in. I mean, we saw we saw them sign Berjuin recently in this window too. Ryan Cestonion has obviously been there for a little while. Um, I think Mourinho is kind of looking at these young kids to kind of make Spurs his own. I think he's starting to kind of put his his footprint on the team. Um, And so it's really just a matter of, of Jetson performing well when he's given the opportunities because he, I mean, he has been thrown kind of into the starting lineup so far Um, and he's done fairly well, uh, you know, despite not having played much at all this season with Benfica. So I think, you know, it's just a matter of him playing consistently and him pumping out consistently good performances that are going to see Spurs exercise that, that, that purchase. And then, I think by the end of this 18 month loan spell, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but, um, you know, his performances over that that time are going to determine whether that 50 plus million price tag is worth it.
0: You mentioned about getting consistent game time and, and consistent minutes. That is obviously heavily heavily reliant on the manager. Uh, and that is, of course, Jose Mourinho. In your opinion, is this a signing that that Jose is, is going to support? And do you feel that Spurs is going to be a good environment for, for Gibson uh, over the next 18 months?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think Mourinho supports the move, especially because I feel like whenever he joins or hops on into a new club, you know, he always makes that, that trademark Portuguese player signing. Diogo Dalot side with Manchester United. And even though he hasn't necessarily kicked on there, I mean, he was a player with a lot of promise when he was at Porto. And I think he still has time to develop and become a key player at right back for Man United, even with Aaron Juan-Bissaka there. But yeah, I think I think Jetson is is a signing that Mourinho sees as working out in the long term. Uh, I don't think that Mourinho really favors Harry Winks in midfield. And I don't think Eric Dyer is really going to get much time in midfield. So those are two players I think he's going to jump over really quickly so long as he plays competently on the field. But I really don't see him faltering, I guess, uh, with Spurs, at least uh, in this half season with them uh, in terms of getting game time and uh, being given a fair opportunity to show what he can do.
0: I mean, the, the real test will come. In the summer, when he's you know he's had that six month effectively like a trial period of see to see how he settles into this new team, into the new squad, into a new country. You know, it's an entirely different life for him. Um, so I think yeah, in 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 the summer when he when he will be a, a staple part of that squad, as as you mentioned there that you know Mourinho might might not favour Harry Winks in that role. I, I mean, just stylistically, we've kind of glossed over the type of player that that Jetson is. Where is he likely to play in that in that midfield? Do you see him being perhaps used in a, in a double pivot or or in a more defensive holding role um, in, in sort of the, the Wilfred and Didi mould or, or something something else?
1: I, I think Judson fits the role of a player who's more so a box to box kind of player that has a preference for you know kind of being closer to the box. One of my main concerns was basically his the physicality of the league and how he would adapt to kind of a more physical and quicker um, style of play in the premier league. When he was with Benfica, it didn't really seem that he knew how to use his, his size was advantage because he is a pretty big midfielder, but I guess kind of throwing him to the wolves and to the wolves in the premier league um, could be beneficial for him as he's going to have to learn how to use his body and, and get used to the physicality pretty quick if he's going to succeed. So formationally Mourinho's always kind of favored like a 4-2-3-1 or he's always kind of had a double pivot in midfield so I can definitely see him partnering somebody uh it's just he wouldn't be that Wilfred and Ndidi or N'Golo Conte type of player that would that would break up play I think he'd be more the one who's trying to move the ball and break lines um dribbling more so than trying to stop the other team from getting forward
0: in in your profile of Jedsun in uh, Volume Three of this the Scouted Football Handbook 2019, um, one of the things that you that you draw attention to is his uh, bulldozer like dribbling, um, which wins an impressive 3.6 fouls per ninety, uh, which is just a, a little snippet that I've I've taken from there. I suppose that is something that we saw with the likes of Frankie Dion in the Eredivisie. Uh, he won a lot of fouls, and you mentioned the the fact that you know he has that that box-to-box mentality of, you know, he's going to want to take the ball out and try and make those passes and try and take the ball and w- with a carry or a dribble or something like that. It's a peculiar one because, you know, Spurs spent so much money on on a player of that type in, in and Ndombele in in the summer. Uh, and yet, you know, his transition hasn't been perfect or th- there are other options in the squad who who can also play there because, you know, the versatility of Giovanni Lo Celso, for example, um, which is perhaps why I thought you know Jedson would play a more defensive role, but yeah, just the, the things you were saying there that kind of alludes to a, a more of an eight rather than rather than a six uh, for definite.
1: I think it kind of alludes to how Mourinho wants his midfielders working hard and he really wants all of his players working hard, like I said if if he gets thrown into these into these games and he develops his his physical aspect of his game and he's able to hold off players um, better than he did in Portugal then it just makes his game overall more well rounded. I mean, we could potentially see him and Ndombele both thrown into a double pivot. And if they form, you know, a good chemistry and understand, you know, when one can go forward and when one can stay back, I mean, to have that mobile of a midfield with the technical ability that they have, uh, you know, they could potentially be one of the better midfields in the Premier League within a year or two.
0: I mentioned briefly just before there that uh, Justin profiled uh, Jedson Fernandez in volume three of the Scouted Football Handbook 2019. Uh, But there's another midfielder in uh, that volume, uh, Ezequiel Palacios, who has also made a January move. In fact, his move was one that was confirmed uh, before the window opened. Um, The Argentine international swapped uh, Buenos Aires and Club Atlético River Plate for Bayer Leverkusen uh, for a fee in the region of 20 million euros. Uh, which I feel for for a player of of his versatility is a fairly good deal in this market, uh, given his age and, and and the fact that he had a few years to run on his River Plate deal. Um, in terms of his style, uh, I think it it suits the Bundesliga in terms of that he's com- he's combative, but he's also creative and, and and enthusiastic in what he wants to do with the ball, uh, but also in his defensive work as well. Um, we were just talking about Jetson Fernandes then. Palacios is probably more of a defensive player than than Jetson Fernandes. Um, but on the whole, I think he's probably a, a pretty well-balanced addition. Um, someone who can definitely grow into a league leader in a, in a more defensive-minded midfield role. Um, in, in particular, the move to Bayer Leverkusen seems to be one which has been fairly soundly scouted out. Um, because Julian Baumgartlinger is probably the closest stylistically to, to Palacios at Leverkusen at the moment. Uh, he is 32, uh, so so the club have definitely targeted Palacios uh, as a player who can gradually usurp his role in in the double pivot that they are currently using there. Um, given that he's only you know he's only 21, and uh, there's definitely uh, room for, for him to grow as a player to adapt to the country and the league. And yeah, he's high energy, high octane, can get up and down the pitch, but uh yeah, he does uh he does his defensive work pretty well as well. Moving on from the Bundesliga, we're just going to hop over to Syria and uh of course with Justin Your Portuguese links, you've taken a keen interest in in the fortunes of Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, over the past couple of seasons. Uh, but it's not one of the Portuguese players that that I'm going to refer to here. But it's one of the Italian ones, uh, and it's Patrick Cutrone, uh, who's moved to Fiorentina uh, at the beginning of this transfer window uh, from Wolves um, on an 18-month loan, uh, which will eventually become permanent. Uh, just initially, what are your what are your thoughts on on that move, Justin?
1: It was. I mean, it was interesting that he that Wolves even managed to sign him from Milan to begin with. I mean, I thought he had a great debut season for them. Um, And I thought he'd be a player that they'd want to keep, uh, especially because they've kind of been fluctuating with offensive talent. I mean, last year, Kutron and Piatic were probably their main two forwards. And now we're looking at Rafael Leao and Zlatan Ibrahimovic up top. So, I mean, it just goes to show how quickly a team's makeup can look in any department of the field. And as far as Wolves, you know, letting him go now, I, I think it's it, it speaks more so to Nuno wanting to rely on on the people that he knows can get the job done. And even though Katrone sc- scored uh, despite you know a lack of game time, I don't think he really fit into um, the mold as well as Nuno would have wanted. I, you know, Jimenez does a lot more than just score goals. I mean he creates plays, he drops in deep, and he's really just working relentlessly off the ball as well. So with him leaving and them kind of bringing in Leonardo Campagna from Ecuador and um, Daniel Podence, I think those are players that kind of, I think Campagna is someone who fits the Jimenez mold better than Catrone did. And I think Podence gives Nuno the, the plan B that he'll need in case, you know, uh, the team he's playing is kind of neutralized Jimenez's role. Um, and as far as Catrone going back or going back to Italy with Fiorentina, I think now he's going back home to somewhere he's comfortable in, albeit it's not Milan, it's Florence, but it's still Italy and he kind of started off with a bang I uh, he scored in his debut with Fiorentina and I think I think he'll have the opportunity to kind of showcase what he was able to do with Milan and uh, kind of raise his stock again.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned there that, that Nuno likes to rely on, on, on those that he can trust and those that, that he knows quite well, because it's been well documented that, that he keeps that he likes to keep his, his squads quite tight and small. Um, so I think his transition at Wolves was was a little bit tough because breaking into that ahead of Raul Jiménez and Diogo Jota, who clearly were a great duo last season was always going to be difficult uh, you also factor in you know the resurgence of of Adama Traore in, in the final third not playing as a wing back anymore uh, and also the, the emergence of um, of Pedro Neto and i think yeah the, the, there were always going to be limited opportunities for for Cotrone there um coming in at Fiorentina they've been really lacking in an identifiable striker uh, and I suppose Cotrone is that type of player. You know, he'll take plenty of shots when he's provided with the service. He's not shy in that aspect. Uh, and, and even when he was at Wolves, when he did get minutes there, you know, he had good expected goals numbers, um, albeit in a small sample size. Um, and, and I suppose he's he's pretty hard working too. You know, he showed that at Milan. Um, so you'd imagine he'll want to make the move work as much as anyone will uh, and as much as Fiorentina will. So that's why I think it's probably one of the more it, it's it's lower profile, but one of the more mutually beneficial ones. Uh, in terms of, of his chances of getting to, to Euro 2020, Justin, um, do you think he could be in contention if he makes a good go of, of this second half of the campaign? Because uh, there are, of course, uh, Ciro Immobile, who has a Midas touch in front of goal at the moment, uh, Andrea Bellotti, Andrea Petagna, and, and the likes in, in the way. Is he perhaps sneaking in as a fourth-choice striker? Or do you not think he's done enough over the past 12, 18 months to, to be in contention with Roberto Mancini?
1: I mean, the competition for that striker spot, like you just listed for Italy, I mean, it is incredibly competitive. I don't know if there's much Cutrone can do um, within this short period of time to really get above those players who have kind of already kicked on this season for, for their teams in Syria. Um, you know, he'd really just have to bang in a goal or two every single game up until the summer, I I feel like to, to push any of them out of, out of contention and you'd have to benefit from one of them hitting a dry spell, you know, towards the tail end of the season or, uh, you know, somebody suffering from injury, unfortunately, uh, to kind of snag that last spot. Um, but he's, he's played for Italy before. I mean, Italian fans love him. He he is a good player. He is a good young player. I just personally don't see him cracking into this squad for the Euros. Should everybody remain healthy and in form?
0: I suppose that's a that's a fair assumption to make, really. Um, and even if he did, he would be going in as that fourth choice striker, the one that doesn't really get that much time on the pitch. You mentioned there that that he is is a player that that Italian fans like. And I suppose that comes across because of how 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 hardworking he is in in the final third, um, and you know how passionate he is, and you saw that with his with his celebrations for Milan and stuff. Do you think he's a player who needs to feel loved?
1: I I think it that's reasonable to to think, given that he kind of came to Wolves and 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 struggled, but at the same time, I mean, he came over the Wolves, and I think the fans immediately took you know a, a liking towards him, especially because they created a chant for him in his name. Like within the week or two that he was there, um, I don't think he necessarily needs love to sort of boost, gain confidence, so to speak. I think naturally he he's aware of how good he is and how good he can be. I just think it, it's more so a matter of of just being given that time to you know on the field to to make an impact to really make a difference. You know, so I, I think uh, he doesn't really need much attention in terms of, or much care, I guess, from, you know, coaches, managers or, or fans as much as most other young players. I, I think he's he's self-sufficient in that area. So I, I think as long as he's given a run out with Fiorentina and, and, you know, he's given his time into next season as well. Italian fans will see him wearing uh, their jersey once again.
0: Sticking with Wolves, uh, and while Patrick Kuitunen was an outgoing at Wolverhampton Wanderers, there was an incoming striker uh, who initially is most likely to go into the under 23s. Uh, that is, of course, Leonardo Campagna, or perhaps not, of course, because you know it's not a not a high profile transfer. Uh, but he he's a 19 year old uh, Ecuadorian forward who myself and Justin we both really like, uh, having watched a lot of him at the under 20 World Cup and and the under 20 Sudamericano last year. Um, Ecuador finished third at the Under Twenty World Cup and, and, and won the latter competition uh, for the first time in their history. Um, Campania being instrumental in that, um, being a really good foil for what was an exciting, dynamic, fast-paced, creative side. Uh, I mean, Justin, what did you what did you like about about watching Campania?
1: after his transfer uh, into Wolves? I mean, I I kind of just it clicked with me that it made a lot of sense in terms of. The fact that he is a lot like Raúl Jiménez in in that he is capable of scoring goals, but that's not the only thing he's good at doing. He can kind of drop into these little pockets of space and uh, help create plays with his with his wide players and with his ten and with his center midfielders. And at the same time, he's he's strong enough to hold off defenders. Uh, he's really just a selfless forward, uh, so to speak. In that, you know. When the opportunity comes, he's going to put the ball away in the net. Um, but when it's not on, he's not going to force it. He's going to look to kind of give other teammates an opportunity to create something. Um, and so, in that respect, I think once he does kind of work his way out of the under-23s into the first team, I think he is looked at as like the long-term replacement for Raúl Jiménez. Um, I know there's a lot of big teams kind of looking at him, even though he's he's on the the wrong end of the 20s I guess you know heading into his 30s um, because he is just a striker who can do it all so I think in anticipation or just in caution of Jimenez potentially leaving within the next year or two Wolves have kind of snapped up Campania and and are, are kind of um, molding him to kind of take that role after after Jimenez leaves
0: yeah, the the parallels to to Jimenez are quite telling, and and I suppose that's not just in terms of of the pair's stature or appearance. It is in in the aspects that you mentioned as well, in in terms of looking to link the play. and, and I suppose that's a similar relationship that he had at the under twenty World Cup with Ecuador, uh, as as Jimenez and and Diogo Yota uh, both shared, uh, well, pre- predominantly last season, but but also again this year. How long do you think it would be before we start seeing him being blooded into into this Wolves team, given that uh, Nuno does prefer to keep his squads quite small? Do you think a good amount of under-23 football will be enough of a step up from, from Barcelona-Gaiaquil in, in the Ecuadorian Primera División?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the under-23, in terms of him going into that squad, is just, you know, obviously trying to work him into the team and get him used to how Wolves like to play. Um and in terms of how soon I anticipate him kind of breaking into that first team, uh, I honestly don't project it being that long. I think we could see him make his debut as early as later into the season, depending on how Wolves kind of are in the table. I know they're they're fighting for a Europa League spot and kind of potentially fourth place as well. Um, so I think the earliest we could probably see him is, to, you know, within the last two or three games of this season. Uh He'll definitely probably be with the first team over the summer. Um, and I definitely anticipate seeing him in the 18, or at least given the opportunity to break into the 18 um, next year.
0: I suppose Nuno has shown uh, faith in, in another 19-year-old in, in blood in Pedro Neto. Um, and he's played quite a lot recently. So I suppose it's plausible that, you know, if Campania is is showing the right things in training and, and scoring at under-23 level, then yeah, he could conceivably be, be playing uh, for Wolves in, in the Premier League. Um, towards the back end of this season. But yeah, I suppose it does depend on which competitions Wolves are still fighting for or fighting to qualify for uh, at that stage as well. We obviously just touched there on on the Under-20 World Cup and I suppose one of the teams that we really liked uh, was Ecuador, headed by Leonardo Campagna. Uh, But probably the the orchestrator of that side uh, was José Cifuentes, He's another who has earned himself a move uh, and I said at the time of his transfer uh, when it was confirmed that that was sort of one of the benefits of, of covering youth international tournaments because players six or 12 months down the line uh, get moves to bigger, more high-profile leagues on the back of, of their displays at, at the tournaments where they're, they're under the most, most scrutiny and are watched by proportionately more uh, international scouts than there had been previously. So it's it's encouraging to see, it's, it's, it feels quite rewarding actually. Um, and I suppose it's particularly true of the of this Ecuadorian team Justin I'll, I'll leave this one up to you but where has jo- uh, Jose Cifuentes moved to and from and and do you think it, it's a good move for him
1: yeah I mean um, he he came over to LAFC and in, in MLS which you know like you were saying it's, it's really gratifying to see these young players kind of uh, move on from these youth tournaments and make their way into senior club football and potentially senior national team football. Um, So yeah, he's, he's recently moved to LAFC, uh, which they just have a knack now kind of like Atlanta United with signing young South American players and, and making them feel at home, uh, even in the States. Um, I think his, his move into LAFC is, is kind of just them, Adding depth to their squad because they will be competing uh, in Comcap Champions League this year after after winning uh, the Supporters Shield last year. But I, I definitely see him kind of fighting for a first team spot as well, not just really being um, a substitute or, or a player you throw in when your starters need a break. Um, he was he was linked with Celtic relatively soon after you know the Under 20 World Cup, and and rightfully so. He's 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 a really hard working uh, midfielder. A lot of U.S. youth national team fans who watch the 2020 20 World Cup will know him as the guy who who basically knocked us out of the tournament with an absolute rocket of a of a goal. Um, but he's he's a solid pickup for LAFC, and I'm kind of excited to see him get into action.
0: Yeah, he's a player who's who's very active without the ball, but also quite classy and and quite good with it in in possession as well. Um, just touching back on 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 the links that LAFC. Uh, have with uh south american players um, why do you think it, mls is becoming a, a good spot and in particular la uh, is becoming a good spot for for young south americans to, to end up
1: la itself is is a very uh, populated area in terms of latino culture and i just feel like as a franchise coming into mls they did so well to kind of cultivate that culture uh with their club um you know, not only with the Latino community that's, that's in L.A., but they're bringing in workers who behind the scenes are of Latino descent and are, are there kind of to help make these players feel at home. Um, it's, it's not just, you know, for lack of a better term, it's not just a bunch of white guys or, or white women coming into this club and hoping for the best with these players coming in because the, the objective is really to kind of bring these players in from South America, you know, make them feel at home in a place that isn't their home and offer them a springboard into europe and lafc as well as atlanta united and a few other mls clubs that are starting to follow in suit have really uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of um you know creating this uh, this culture in the club where players from south america and and all over can really just come in and, and and adapt really well and they don't have to worry too much about about the personal effects of moving clubs or the personal effect that moving clubs can have on a player.
0: I suppose that's always going to be a positive when you know there are parallels to to your home life or where you've just come from, moving to a new place and a new environment. So I suppose it's quite a good initiative um, uh, that, that LAFC and, and that franchise have, have sort of implemented. But yeah, on the whole, uh, Jose Cifuentes at LAFC joins um, Uruguay's uh, Brian Rodriguez and, and Diego Palacios of, of Ecuador as well um in the past 6 to 8 months uh, following um the the uh, under 20 world cup in, in 2019 um they were three the three players i've just mentioned they were all in our team of the tournament uh, at the uh, under 20 world cup uh, and and you can see that whole team in in volume 3 of the Scouted football handbook 2019 uh, they all have a little scout report in each and a, a small little feature uh, in there I suppose his transition has been made as, as, as easy as possible off the pitch with, with uh players around him from, from his own country or similar countries and, and, and also the staff that you were alluding to. Um but on the pitch, um, I'm 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 led to believe he's he's picked up a bit of an injury, has he?
1: Yeah, um he's currently with Ecuador as they're qualifying for um the Olympics this summer. Um as far as the extent of the injury, from what I've read, it's it's really just a small muscle tear, it's nothing really serious. Um, he's expected to kind of miss the rest of LAFC's preseason and probably the beginning part of their regular season. Um, but it's nothing really too concerning. It's, it's not like he, you know, ruptured his ACL or anything. Um, it's just something I think a lot of players experience when they're put through a, a, a bunch of games all at once, um, or within a short period of time. So, uh, the earliest he'll probably come back for LAFC is probably April or May, um, Either way, I mean, he's he's gonna come back into this team, and he's really just gonna make already what is probably the best team in MLS even better. It's kind of scary too because even with him being gone, they have players who are just ready to fill in those spots, um, like Edward Atuesta and and newly signed Francisco Janella. I mean, they're they're just stacked in central midfield with young talent, really.
0: You mentioned Atuesta there. How long do you think it'll be before he's before Su Fuentes is really challenging Atuesta for that spot that, that he that Atuesta excelled in last season. Or do you think they could play together or or what, what is the sort of relationship that, that's going to be happening at LAFC in that central midfield?
1: Yeah, so it, it's actually really interesting because I think the way that Bob Bradley puts out his midfield for LAFC, it's it's Atuesta kind of sitting in that in that deep lying role. He's really a, a deep lying playmaker. Uh he has Latif blessing more so playing the destructive playmaker uh, or the destructive midfielder. But at the same time, he's in charge of kind of carrying the ball forward and then he'll have Mark Anthony K or at times it was Lee Wynn who kind of pulled the strings in midfield and, and tried to operate as like a, a creative number 10, but not really. They weren't as far forward. I think as, as you would anticipate a regular number 10 to be. So I could see, I, I more so see C Fuentes taking over blessings position in, in midfield Being allowed to get a little further forward and kind of just being allowed to run over, run all over midfield. It's either break up play or, or um, you know, to kind of make something happen uh, in situations where it looks like play is dead. If he does replace Atuesta, I guess in that in that deep lying role, I don't think he adds the same creativity as Atuesta, but he doesn't lack you know competence in in making the right pass and and making. you know, the smart pass, so to speak. He's not going to, you know, lose you possession by just hitting a wild ball through the middle of the park and and hoping it lands to the feet of a, of a winger or a forward. Um, he's he's going to collect the ball, he's going to be composed, and he's just going to get it off to players who are capable of making things happen.
0: Just before you touched on uh, Francisco Ginella, who's also at LAFC, I mean, he is a a player who who moved in this January transfer window, as is the theme of uh, this episode. Um, where's he moved from and, and why is he, a, why is he a move of note for, for this window for you?
1: Yeah. So he's, he's moved from um, Montevideo Wanderers in, in Uruguay. Um, he was part of, of, of their under, tw- of uh, Uruguay's under 20 world cup team. I, I think a lot of people just really didn't take notice of him because of a lot of the other star power that was kind of in that squad. I mean, you mentioned before, Brian Rodriguez really stole the show for that team uh, during that tournament. And as far as what he adds to LAFC, I not that he's um, you know, not a exciting pickup. I just think in terms of the players that they have right now, if, if you were to point out one of them and say, this is a guy who's here for depth, I'd probably say Janela is that player. Um, I think, he would be more likely to replace Atuesta in that deep-lying playmaker role because he is a little bit smarter in terms of being able to pull off those, threading the needle through midfield and kind of finding players in in pockets of space that other midfielders necessarily couldn't see or pick out with a pass. But at the same time, Bob Bradley loves players who are versatile and can play in multiple positions on the field. Um, And I think he could also fit into the Same role as, as C. Fuentes and Latif Blessing in that, that midfield role that's just allowed to kind of roam through midfield and, and break up play or, you know, kind of make things happen a little bit further up the field.
0: We are now going to circle all the way back and we're going to go back to Portugal uh, because there was a big move um, from not one of the big three uh, but from uh, Sporting Club Braga uh, and that was Francisco Trincao. Um, he moved to, to Spanish giants, Barcelona, uh, for 31 million euros, um, which we'll get onto the fee for that in, in just a little while. Um, but he's a player, Justin, that you've followed for, for quite some time from from his time with uh, Portugal's under-19 squad at, at the 2018 under-19 euros. It's a little bit out of the blue, I feel. And I think for the fee that has been paid or will be paid eventually, it's a bit... I don't know, it, it seems a bit of a strange one. I mean, I know he's a talented player, but 31 million euros is a lot, no?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when I, when I saw the rumors at first, I was, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's, he's being looked at by Barcelona, but they're not going to pull the trigger now. I, you know, it's, it's way too early, especially because he's only just recently broken to Braga's first team. What this kind of screams to me is, it looks a lot like the Renato Sanchez transfer from when he left Benfica to go to Bayern. I think at at their respective moments in time when when Sanchez was in his last few games with Benfica and Trinzán, obviously, you know, playing for ben, uh, Braga right now, they're both equally talented. And I feel they have the potential to play for clubs of that magnitude. It's just that the moves then and now just seem premature. I will say though, I, I, I rate sound very highly. I think watching his group of under-17s and under-19s and under-20s and so on with Portugal, he just always seemed to stand out to me uh, in that front line, even even with um, João Felipe playing on the other side and kind of breaking through in Benfica's team somewhat this season, not really. I, I just think because Terentão kind of plays for Braga and plays outside of that big three, um, he doesn't get as much attention. But he's just, he's a phenomenal You know, player on the ball he's very technically gifted he in tight spaces it's very hard to get him off the ball because he just he just seems to be able to to slip his way out of pressure he can carry the ball out from deep and and like he's shown in recent games you know he knows how to put the ball in the back of the net um, like any good forward does
0: he is uh, staying at Braga for the rest of the season um, as part of the deal which surely will be better for his development given how he's broken through this season and seems to be really comfortable in that environment there um, and especially because we've seen the likes of uh, Ricky Puig, uh until now Jean-Claude Todibo uh, Carlos Alenia you know, at Barcelona have to either stick it out in the B team uh, in Puish's case or warm the bench in, in the other two's case um, which you'd imagine would be the same story for Trincão if he if he moved there now, and probably will be the case when he moves in summer as well. Um, when he does officially move, I mean, what is that saying? How ready do you think he'll be for La Liga football at a club like Barcelona, and and how dependent is that going to be on his final six months in Liga Noche?
1: I honestly feel, uh, you know, if he continues at this rate that he is with Braga right now and and given what he's shown already with youth teams, if he's able to just, you know, to kind of progress even a small bit of that into senior club football, he's, he's ready to play in La Liga. The only thing is I don't think he's really ready to settle in at a, at a Barcelona. I, I would imagine he'd, he'd be better off of having moved to like a, a mid table team and kind of getting the opportunity to start for them before making this big jump. I feel like a lot of people say that when young players just, uh, you know, take an immediate move to uh, a top club in the Champions League or something, and, you know, they either crash and burn or they excel flawlessly. I, I just don't see Trin Sound getting the opportunity with the first team next year when he does when he does go to Barcelona permanently. I, I can see him probably getting loaned out. I don't think he'll play with the B team, uh, considering, you know, he is 20 turning 21. I think the B team is kind of more for players that are still teenagers or players they're kind of looking to move on but given the money that they're spending on him I, th- I think he'll get a loan move next year within la liga give him the opportunity to kind of get used to playing in the league uh and then come back to barcelona the next year and and, and really be given a chance with the first team to see what he can kind of do
0: yeah that's probably a fair assumption and a fair appraisal really uh, the 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 similar player that I was thinking of, um, sort of making that big jump from a club which is of a you know comparatively smaller size um, to to a super club like Barcelona would, would have been Alexis Sanchez when he moved uh, from Udinese to to Barcelona in in 2011 and kind of made that transition you know quite smoothly. Um, however, that was obviously aided by the fact that the team were you know one of the best ever. Um, Kiki Setien is the new manager at Barcelona. And do, do you think that Trincão is is a good signing for for Setien's high octane danger ball style of play? Assuming that you know, if he if he didn't go out on loan next season, if he did get a chance, or even further down the line, if Setien was still there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with with Portugal's youth teams, a lot of the time they were the better team in the sense that they had possession, um, and they would always usually be on the front foot in terms of attacking. And, and that's kind of what Trintao needs. He he needs to be given the opportunity to uh, kind of just have the ball at his feet and have the freedom to take on players when he can. Um, you know, playing in a reserve side, I don't think really benefits him, uh, especially, you know, despite having a, a decent, you know, dribbling ability and being able to carry the ball out from deep. Um he really just needs to be on the front foot consistently, or, you know, he needs to be on a team that has possession. Um, because for, you know, like any other forward or winger, you know, they need the ball at their feet to make something happen most of the time. And, and he is a player that once he gets the ball to his feet, he's, he's either going to take somebody on and beat them or he's going to draw a foul doing it. He's, he's obviously facing immense competition with somebody like Anzu Fati, who's, who's coming through the ranks with Barcelona and is really just hitting the ground running with them. Um, and you know if Ousmane Dembele sticks around for one more year and he can stay healthy, that's another player that he's got to compete with for a spot. But I, I think I think he he will slide right into Setien's style of play pretty pretty flawlessly, and I, I think it suits his his overall skill set pretty well.
0: Uh, we reached out to uh, you, our Twitter followers, this week. Uh, and asked you to to recommend some some transfers to to talk about uh, and and sort of give our give our appraisal on on how we think they 've gone and um yeah, we picked out a few of those there is one uh That was suggested uh from lee Tennant, and that was his his question was uh halil davishoglu to brentford and whether he would be ready for the rigors of of english football and how how he was going to displace uh the ben rama and boemo watkins bmw trio that are currently really pushing for for promotion from uh from the championship thank you to lee for for sending that in i think Yes, he is definitely going to be a backup option to to that Brentford trio at the moment. His adaptability to to the English game, I think that will only come with time, and I think he he should be afforded patience with that. Um, it was probably intended um, that that a January move was was important, so that so that he has this six months really to to bed in before the the summer fire sale of of BMW. Uh, at Brentford, which I suppose is responsible management, uh, but it is reliant on on Oglu settling uh, for the time being. He does promise to be uh, a, an encouraging backup option, uh, but yes, he does look to be firmly a backup option uh, coming in from, from Sparta Rotterdam, uh, and and I, I don't expect him to to displace the Ben Rama and Buemo Watkins trio uh, at, at Brentford uh, at the moment. But the real expert on on Halil Dervishoglu is our is our good friend Lou Davies, um, and his profile in in Volume Four of the uh, Scout Football Handbook. There's a little snippet in there which I think is quite encouraging for for fans of attacking football, but also fans of Brentford uh, in that to to get the best out of Oglu at his current stage of development, he probably needs to be utilised as a creative attacker within a unit that promotes positional fluidity and fluent interplay. Uh, which I suppose is something that Brentford's current attacking setup promotes. So yeah, they, having having seen only bits of, of Dervish Oglu at Sport at Rotterdam, yes, he's an excellent dribbler. That is plain to see. And yes, he is slight at the moment. But I suppose you could say that with a lot, with plenty of, of uh wingers who who've come to, to England and cut their teeth in the championship before, you know, going on to bigger and better things. So I think with Dervish Oglu, it's just a matter of time. Giving the time to to, to develop the time to adjust and uh, yeah, he should be a, a shoe in for, for for coming into Brentford's uh, setup and Brentford's front three when one of the BMW trio moves on. That is pretty much it for our January transfer window roundup two-parter. Thoroughly enjoyed doing it. I mean, there's been so many transfers to, to cover and so many transfers to, sort of give a bit of analysis on and I suppose the exciting thing now is to see how these players develop at their new clubs and and whether the loan deals work out the ones with the options to buy the ones with the obligations to buy and I suppose you know the bigger moves that that we touched on in, in the previous episodes you know the Danny Olmos and Erling Haaland whether they will continue to, to be you know, excellent young players in a new environment. Um, I think we know the answer to that one with Erling Haaland, though. Uh, Justin, as ever, thanks very much for your expertise and your insight uh, and your analysis on on all things MLS, LAFC, uh, Portuguese football, uh, and all the players that we've discussed uh, today. Thank you very much for that. And yeah, I'm looking forward to having you on again.
1: Yeah, thank you for uh, having me back on. Uh, Miss being on. Uh, and am glad to give my take on a few transfers.
0: Well, it's been a great episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. and uh, Thank you for sticking it out for these uh, two hours of the two-parter um, of this January transfer window special. Uh, we'll be back very soon uh, with some more episodes. Uh, but in the meantime, take care. Thank you very much. I'm Joe Donoghue, and this has been the Scouted Football Podcast.